Let's pray together. We, God, we pray that this unity that we find in you might be the unity we find in one another. We pray that this life that we find in you might be the life that we share. God, we pray that the possibility we find in you might be the possibility of the world. And that that might be possible in us and through us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Begin this World Communion Sunday today with an announcement that everything we need for the healing of the world is found in the very nature of God. We're not talking about something that God has to conjure up, that God has to do. This is simply who God is. The unity, the compassion, the grace, the creativity, the possibility, the life that we all long for, the fullness that we all need, and the the thing that we're always trying to fill with something is available. It's already there in God, in Father, Son, and Spirit. It existed before anything else did. It is how everything came into existence. It is something that we are invited into out of God's fullness simply because that's who God is and what God does. Now, the name the early church gave to that, the name that we, we, we tr- the mystery that we tried to describe, we, we use the word Trinity. And if I were to have you, you know, as they sometimes do, turn to your neighbor and explain something or say something, if I had you turn to your neighbor and say, uh, sum up this, the Trinity uh, in 30 seconds or more, um, I see you, everybody started shifting in their seats. Just, I'm not going to do it, okay? Not, I'm not going to do that. Uh, because um, it's, it's not so easy, right? It, it's a word that sometimes gets thrown out and we, we you know, sometimes know what it means, sometimes act like we know what it means, sometimes wonder what it means. Chances are you've had somebody uh, explain the Trinity to you poorly and that complicates things. And that's because most explanations about Trinity actually choke out the mystery that is at the heart of it. You try to explain this thing away, it's, it's pretty complicated. They attempt to explain the way in which something can be three things and one thing at the same time. And so let me give you an example. Maybe you heard this one. God in Trinity is like water. It can be three things. It's the same thing, but in three forms. And what are those forms? Liquid water and ice and, and steam, right? Three very different things, but still the same thing. And that actually gets us about halfway there. That, that, okay, I can, I can get my head around that. But here's the thing that's missing that is so essential when we talk about this and why it matters to us in the church. What is the relationship between the three? If I were going to have you turn and talk to your neighbor about Trinity, here's the question I would ask. What does it feel like to walk into the fullness of life between Father and Son? What does it feel like? What's the word that you would describe that possibility that, that existed before you did in God? The, what would it be like to be Father and Son and Spirit? What do you think, what would it be like to hang out with them? What, what does that feel like? Because there's a dynamic nature to those relationships the, the other uh, explanation is called modalism. There's a, there's a mode. Father does this, son does this, spirit does this. Water, ice, steam. But what we mean in Trinity is that there is dynamic life coursing in the life of God. And then because God is God, God said, we're going to open that up. We're going to open it up to you and to the world. 
And so when we talk about church, what we really mean is people experiencing the fullness of life that God offers, that is in the very nature of God. This dynamic life that pulsates between Father, Son, and Spirit is now the dynamic life of people. And so I don't know what word you would use to describe that, but unity is sometimes used. Fullness. Dynamic. Life. By church, we mean the community on earth that participates in the life of God in heaven. It's now been made available on earth. And it's, it, it is mysterious. It's this thing that you kind of know it when you see it. I mean, we try to give names to it. We try to structure it. We try to bring doctrine or polity in the church, and that somehow is going to contain it and then be able to bottle it and give it to other people. It doesn't work that way at all. It's mysterious. The Spirit blows where, it's, where it will, but you know it when you see it. When I was in high school, I went on a trip. I would like to tell you that it was... Uh, as, as an athlete, um, it was a band trip. Um, uh, we went on a marching band trip. And um, so you're hanging out with band kids and band parents, and that's important to the story. I think band is great. Don't, like, I'm not knocking it, okay? Uh, but it is important to the story because uh, we had an athlete in our midst. Apparently, uh, we, we were in Orlando, actually. Um, we were going to play at Disney World. And uh, we were in Orlando, and the rumor got out that Shaquille O'Neal was in our hotel. And so you can imagine the buzz that went through all of us, hoping maybe that we would see Shaq. This is 1993, 1994. I looked this up, by the way. How many, how tall is Shaquille O'Neal? Anybody know? He's 7'1", right? According to the internet, and the internet's never wrong. So uh, I looked it up. And um, at that, there's actually a chart I found of how much Shaq weighed through the years. So um, do you know how much he, he weighed in 1993-94? Just a mere 300 pounds, that's all. And he got, he got bigger than that. According to the internet, he was 400 pounds at one, at one point in his career as an athlete. All that to say, kind of a big presence, right? Shaquille O'Neal, uh, when Shaquille O'Neal shows up, you kind of know it, right? So uh, we're all kind of in the buzz that maybe Shaq's in the hotel, and we're, I'm in the lobby of the hotel with some, some other kids, but surrounded by a couple band moms, and the, the elevator opens. And, like, I can see it to this day. Shaq came out, and it was like this. He kind of bent down out of the elevator and then stood up in the room, and it was like... Whoa. I mean, the whole place just kind of dropped in awe of his presence. The physical presence of Shaquille O'Neal up close, it is, you don't see that, you don't feel that on TV. Remarkable. And standing there kind of in awe of him, this band mom taps me on the shoulder and she says, is that him? <laughs> yeah. It's him. I would put Shaq into the know it when you see it category. And we should put church in the same category. Church happens when this incredible presence fills the space and you, it's undeniable. You don't really have to ask. And that's not necessarily in the way that we think because in the story of Jesus, we discover that that fullness of life, that, that presence of God that is undeniable is offered to people on the margins, the poor, and the people that are left out, and the people who are sick, and the people who are dying. Which makes me think of a story uh, from Scripture in Luke 7. John the Baptist sees 
the life of God showing up in the room like Shaq in the hotel lobby, sees it happening, and he sends his disciples to Jesus and essentially does the band mom thing. Hey, is it you? Luke records it as the question, are you the one or should we expect another? And you have to wonder how John the Baptist, who's the one who announced Jesus, right? How he comes into the story here now later and says, are you really the one? Which makes me wonder that even at someone like John the Baptist, who is prophetic and wild and wonderful, who doesn't fit into any box, when he sees Jesus show up, Jesus doesn't fit into even his box. So, so category-breaking, boundary-breaking was the ministry of Jesus. Are you the one or should we expect another? Is that him? What's remarkable is that Jesus doesn't get defensive. He doesn't try to justify his existence. He doesn't make a theological argument. These are things we all do, by the way. I'm going to connect a dot. We do all of those things. What does Jesus say? He says, look around. The blind receive sight and the lame walk and the deaf hear. The dead are being raised to life and the gospel is being preached to the poor. You tell me. You know it when you see it. There is this fullness of life that we are being ushered into, invited into, that we are invited into to participate in, in its fullness. And we can call a lot of other things church. And, you know, the early church uh, through the, well, actually the church through history has tried to figure out what it is that constitutes church. Uh, and uh, there was a time where the, the Roman Catholic Church, and so they said, you know, if you have the sacraments and you do them right, there's church. And I think they're kind of, they're kind of right. The Protestant Reformation came along and said, actually, it's something else, too, that you need to have the word. When, and when it's proclaimed correctly and the sacraments, then you have church. But what can sometimes get missed, the most of, both of those are right and can also be wrong because there's something fundamental to word and sacrament, which is that they are, they are a chance for us to join into the life of God. And really, any time that we enter into the life of God in community, church happens, and you know it when you see it. But anything less than that, anything less than the fullness of life that God wants for us together well, that's, that's not church. That's not what we're going for. And so in our vision statement, we say that, that our hope is that you would become fully alive in a relationship with Christ and in relationship with us. And the New, the New Testament had a word for that. They called it koinonia. In fact, it was the discovery of the early church. They didn't know how to put a pinpoint on this thing that was happening, this thing that was unique. They tried to name it, and so they picked a word from their world. They called it koinonia. It was a, uh, a word from the business world, that went, which meant to be a partner or to have a share, to participate in something, to be a part of it. And so that, that word continues to guide the church today because church happens when we join in that life to God, when we share it together and have a share in it. The early church discovered that we participate in the life of God and with one another in the fullness that is only possible in Father, Son, and Spirit. 
But man, you know it when you see it. That means the surest signs that the church is breaking out are these. Oneness, unity, completeness, fullness, flourishing. This is what Jesus prayed for. My prayer, Jesus said, is not for them alone. I pray also for, not just for the disciples, but also for us, those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and I are, that just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Do you see us getting pulled into this thing that otherwise would only be between God the Father and God the Son? Jesus continues, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This oneness is something that we share with people around the world. And in view of that, it makes it seem pretty ridiculous how much time we spend talking about what we don't have in common. How much time and energy and effort and mental space is, is focused on what we don't share. Ephesians declares that we, there is one body, the body of Christ in the world, that there is one spirit, there is one hope, that there is one Lord, that there is one faith, that there is one baptism, that there is one God and Father of all of us who is over all and through all and in all. I think, in other words, if we got all that going on, then what really could separate us? In fact, the illusion that we are separate is part of our problem. The church, in this worldwide sense, focuses on what it has in common and finds the, the thread that unites all of humanity. We gather in gratitude because none of us got this on our own. It's all gift. It is sheer grace. And so one of the ways that you know it when you see it is that the church gathers in deep gratitude, in thankfulness, in generosity, and in joy. The fact that we are invited into this thing, it's remarkable. As an old priest once said, Jesus tells us three things. Every person is of incredible value. You will live forever. And if you can find a better deal, take it. And the argument is that there isn't a better deal, but that deal isn't just to get you into heaven, but it is to get heaven into the world through you, through the church. That this fullness of life is something that we just revel in together in all that we were somehow invited in. Some years ago, on a Saturday, we held a conference on sex, sex trafficking. Men, one or two of the ladies who helped put on the conference stayed for church in this very room when the room was different, when that was the front and the sound area was right here. So right about here, uh, which is now part of our worship platform, uh, two of the ladies who had survived sex trafficking and who were now helping others stood in worship. And, um, and they pretty much danced the whole time. I don't, there's, not, there, there's no other way to describe that. Um, they, they danced, they sang, they were into it. And I've been into, um, into worship settings where that happens and it feels weird, feels kind of awkward, feels forced. 
and that was not what was going on. These ladies were, it was just real and authentic. And afterwards, after the service, I said how much I appreciated that. And I'll never forget what they said. They said, when you've been through what we've been through, if God sets you free from what we've been freed from, you just can't help it. When the church gathers, we need to remind ourselves that what we've been freed from. And we, um, in different settings, you know, in different social settings, you know, kind of do a good job of polishing ourselves up. We need reminders that we have been invited into something and we ought to just for, for, uh, for no other reason, just be really, really grateful. And that's why we call communion Eucharist. That's what we mean when we talk about a, a great Thanksgiving, which is part of our liturgy. It's a reminder that we as a church gathered are not as dignified as we think we are and are more grace recipients than we realize. So let me close with this story as we come to communion this, this Sunday. And as we do, we're going to imagine the church gathered in lots of places, including at the beach right now. So we've got a lot of people online uh, who are with us, uh, and we love you, and we're excited for you that you are there and we are here, mostly. And um, we imagine the church gathered around the world, speaking different languages, in different denominations, high church, low church, church in big cathedrals, and church in homes. We imagine the church gathered in places on the margins, and that's where this story comes from, from Father Greg Boyle, who's written uh, three books on his ministry with gang members in Los Angeles for 40 years. Talk about street cred. And his uh, latest book is called The Whole Language. It's about speaking the whole language of God, and he has a chapter. Chapter 6 is on the church. And so I went to that this week as I was thinking about this, this day and World Communion Sunday. Can you imagine what it is like to do ministry, to have church with, uh, with gang members? And so this description, this story helps us get into that. It is the setup for their communion, but in a very different form of church. Uh, and so I, I actually don't often read straight from a, from a book, but I'm, I'm just not going to get his words. Uh, he's earned the right to, to speak for himself. So this is what he describes. It's actually a mass before a funeral. He says, I wasn't sure how many folks to expect at Chucky's funeral, but the place was packed with this, for this giant of a man who was always so sweet, even as he struggled with his own drug use and homelessness and gang involvement. His body took a beating and could not sustain himself any longer. Everyone wore a Packers jersey, Chucky's team. We all have comments on that. I'll keep those to myself. The place was packed with gang members, drug addicts, drug dealers, women who had engaged in sex trafficking and those who had trafficked them, people in recovery and people who were presently high, felons and revived folks and those barely hanging on. The church gathered. Before I began the Mass, I invited every, anyone who wished to say anything to eulogize Chucky. There was a silence and a reluctance and I started to think maybe nobody would step up. And then an old veterano uh, with a huge brochure, which is a mustache, gray and rigid, ampled to the podium. He was wearing a muscle shirt and shorts. He surveyed the room, taking his time until he finally said, Chucky knocked up my sister. The church gathered. And this shock, the sentence de detonated in the room in an outburst of raucous laughter, and as they began to tell stories, there was not a dry eye in the place. And then he says, at communion time, I did my usual invitation, 
Pope Francis says that the communion is not the grand prize for the perfect person, but food for the hungry. And we're all hungry, and I invite you in. And he describes all these gang members and people who don't get along anywhere else coming to the communion table and weeping as they receive the bread and the juice. And at first he thought it was because they were crying over their friend until... He says, I was struck at how moved to tears they were by Chucky's death when a woman, taking communion in her hand, looked up at me with tear-soaked eyes and said, Thank you for inviting us. And this is what Father Greg writes. We tried and find our way together to Christianity as a loving way of life, not just as a system of beliefs and dogmas and requirements, but as a tender disposition of the heart. If we're honest with ourselves, we find, we'd find that longing to sidestep 